be with you this morning. We are uh, in a in the middle of the series, week three, right in the middle of a series that we've called Poverty Gospel, which is kind of a weird thing. But I take it from from this thing that Jesus says when 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 Luke starts to record Jesus's first ministry, like the first time when he gets things started, he stands up and reads a prophecy and said, "I came to declare good news for the poor. I came to declare good news." for those who are in captivity. I came to declare good news for those who are oppressed. And so the good news that Jesus brings is for people who fit into those categories. There's some eligibility requirements. And so we're looking at what is this good news? Gospel is just another word for good news. Um, What is the poverty gospel that Jesus came to share? And last week was really interesting. Um, We had a lot of opposition to the good news, actually, and a lot of demonic forces, and we got to peek behind the curtain a little bit at not only was Jesus there to declare good news, but there were people, there were entities that were opposed to Jesus coming to share it. And so we got to look behind the curtain that Jesus' good news will not be derailed by evil spiritual entities, which is good. And it's good to know that, but what does that necessarily mean for me? Like if, if I'm interacting with Jesus, if, if he's preaching this good news, if I'm reading this good news now, today, what, do, what does that have to do with me? When is it time for me to start taking Jesus seriously or listening to what it is that he says? What's, what's a good time to start taking Jesus seriously? And that's kind of the question that we're going to be trying to come to an answer to this morning. And we're going to do it in in Luke chapter 5, which don't turn there yet. We'll turn there after we pray, all right? So we'll pray together. And Max, will you put up um, the next one? Um, I'd like for us to open our our time together this morning by praying together. We'd like to uh, pray the disciples' prayer. Um, And if you're not familiar with it, the words are up on the the screen for you to pray along with. Um, So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's open together to Luke chapter 5. It's on page 1074, if you're using the blue Bibles here in front of you. 1074, Luke chapter 5. I see you navigating there. We're going to begin in verse 1 of Luke chapter 5. And we're going to take a look. I'll just give you a a heads up. We're going to take a look at four scenes, four different um, settings that it's going to take a minute for us to see how they're connected. So it's going to feel like he's just going through so much. He's going through so much. Um, But we're going to come to a place where we, we see how these four different scenes are all connected in the same idea. So we're going to begin in Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, 
While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Uh, give me Give me two slides. There we go. Thank you. So we open up the scene, um, and Jesus is, is teaching. And as he's teaching, there's a huge crowd of people that come. We have the benefit today, even in a, in a, a small room like this, where you can hear me pretty well because I have a microphone. And so my voice is amplified, and then it's cast back at you in your face from these speakers here. And it's really like easy for you to hear me without me having to scream at you, although I do that occasionally anyway. <clears throat> For Jesus, he's out in a field, and people are coming up and wanting to hear him talk. And as more people come, he's having to talk louder and louder and louder, and they can't hear very well, so they're getting closer and closer and closer. And he turns around, and he sees, hey, here's some fishermen. They're cleaning their nets, and uh, they got these boats here. So let me, let me borrow one of these boats. Hey, Simon, I've been staying at your mother-in-law's house. Um, Simon, why don't you put me in the boat? I'll put out a little bit from land and I can stand here in the boat and, and, and it'll act a little bit like an amphitheater, like, like, like the, the, the shore will be a little bit raised and then everybody will be able to hear me better and I won't have to scream so much and y'all won't be like in my business. Okay? So he goes and he's preaching from the boat and he preaches the whole message. And then he turns to Simon and says, hey, let's go out, let's go fishing. Let's, Let's put out into the deep, and then we'll let, let down the nets for a catch. Now, now I, I, I'm going to invite you to put yourself into Simon's shoes. What, what do we know about Simon so far? We know that Jesus has been visiting his mother-in-law, and we know that he's a fisherman. We know that he's cleaning his nets in the morning, okay? Which means he worked third shift. He got back from third shift, fishing all night, and now they're cleaning, they're putting things away. They're cleaning things up. We're getting things ready. He is on his way to bed. He's tired. And this meddling preacher that's been hanging out with his mother-in-law is now like, hey, I need to borrow your boat. And he's like, well, I ain't letting you just take it out there. You don't know how to do this thing. You're a teacher. You're not a fisherman. So let me, I'll stay with my boat and make sure that nothing happens. So he's worked all night long. He's cleaned up. And now he's got this inconvenient preacher preaching. 
And I don't know what the message was that Jesus was sharing, but I think he managed to keep Peter awake. And I wonder if his message didn't have something, there's like a, a burning in his heart and he's like, I don't know about this. There's something that rings true, but I'm just not sure. I'm not sure this guy's legit. Like I've seen him, I mean, he's healed my mother-in-law. I've seen him heal other people. I've seen him cast out demons and now I'm hearing him teach, but, but I don't know if it's for me. I don't know if it's the right time. And Jesus, you know, says amen, finishes his sermon, turns to Peter. He says, hey, let's go fishing. Go out, go out into the deep part of, of this lake that you have spent your whole life fishing. You, you are a master fisherman. You, you spent your whole life fishing this thing. You know how it works. You just spent all night fishing because you know that fish get caught at night. And in the daytime, they don't get caught. So you know how all this works, but what I, just, just do the opposite of what you know works, okay? Would you do that for me? And he says, look, I've been up all night. We labored all night and it was a bad night for fishing. We didn't catch anything. I don't know that I trust you yet. But I'll do what you said. And so they throw the, the nets over. And they catch so many fish, the boat's starting to sink. And, and, and they, they, they called to the other boat. And I don't know whether the other boat had gone out with them or if now they had to like get the nets finished ready and then load everything up and come out and get them or whatever. They call to the other boat. The other boat comes out and they help them and they, they fill those nets too. So they've got two boats out in the middle of the day sinking because the catch of fish is so big. And Peter, it, Peter gets it. And he looks at Jesus and says, what do you have to do with me? I'm just, I'm just a normal guy. I'm just out here doing my work. What do you have to do with me? I'm a sinful man. I'm not a rabbi. I'm not a, a, a teacher. I'm not a holy person. I'm just trying to make ends meet out here. And I've heard you preach and I've seen you heal and now I've seen you got up in my business. You got into my workplace and you did stuff that I know doesn't work and it worked. And he has the same reaction that if you're familiar with the, the Hebrew scriptures, Isaiah has when Isaiah gets transported into the throne room of God. I'm not worthy to be here. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed them. He's a small business owner. There's a lawn care guy, and he's got two trucks, and he's got four lawnmowers, and, and this rabbi like preaches from his lawnmower and says, hey, you're going to follow me. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna mow for Jesus. And he just leaves the trucks. Just leaves the mowers behind. I don't need these anymore. Wherever this guy goes, I'm going. It's, it's a big deal. And not only that, but his partners with him, the other workers that were with him, they've seen this too. And they come too. We know James and John. Uh, 
And I don't, I don't know how that works out financially. I don't know what Peter's wife had to say about all that. But when he came to the point where it was time to decide, he knew it was time to decide, and he made his decision. But here's, here's an interesting question. Do we let Jesus speak into our areas of expertise? Do we let Jesus speak into our areas of expertise? Because, because there are things that we know well. Like each of us, uh, we've, we've lived life for a little bit. There are things we know well, whether it's Fortnite or whether it's, it's you know, uh, landscaping or whether it's computers or whether it's art, whether it's plastic surgery. Like what is the area of expertise? And you're like, yeah, I do the church thing on Sunday, but like there's this other thing that I've got a ton of experience with and I know how this works. And if Jesus were to come into your area of expertise and say, yeah, do the opposite of the thing that you know works, would we let him in? Would, would we care when Jesus asks us to, to operate with integrity, when we know that that actually doesn't re- yield any results? If I'm honest with this person, I'm not going to make any money. If I don't cheat here, then I'm not going to win the game. And everybody knows this is just how the system works. But do we let Jesus speak into our areas of expertise because he told a fisherman how to fish and this was Peter's first step to becoming a disciple I think each of us has our own like pathway some of us grew up in church and we're familiar with the stories and we know kind of how the religion thing works and some of us grew up in a home that was everything but Christian or anything but religious and all of this is just new to us but but either way we each come to a point where we start to follow and and Peter's first step was I'm not sure I trust you I've been fishing all night and I didn't catch anything but I'll obey what you said. And his faith didn't come until after he had obeyed. There, there are times where we, we read Jesus and we go, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, be love your neighbor. Like, yeah, cool, whatever. Yeah, I got it. Okay, weirdo. But what if we obeyed him even if we're not quite sure that we trusted him yet? And by taking that step, gave him the opportunity to flip our perceptions of what we think we understand. Does our faith in Jesus permeate all the areas of our being? Does it it matter what Jesus has said when we're in school, or at home, or at work, or when we're hanging out with our friends, or when we're working on our hobbies, when we're talking to people or when we're just trying to like unplug and entertain ourselves? Or is our faith in Jesus confined to Sunday? Do we let Jesus speak into our areas of expertise? Let's continue reading in in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy and When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. 
And immediately the leprosy left him. And, and he, Jesus, charged him, the leper, to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So Jesus is going along, and he's kind of going through the city, and there's a fellow who's, who's covered in leprosy. He's full of leprosy is the description. So I don't know if he's like leper by the actual medical standard of what leprosy is, but he had a skin condition. He had a skin disease. And actually, you might be surprised that the Hebrew Scriptures, when God gave the law to the Israelites, he was real specific about what to do with skin conditions. He was real concerned about uh, skin cleanliness, which is not the kind of thing that I think of when I think about the Old Testament law, but it's there's at least two or three chapters devoted to it, and there's a whole list of procedures, and you're reading it going, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But if you had a skin condition, if something showed up on your skin, whether you knew where it came from or not, you got excluded from the camp. So if everybody's out camping together and somebody gets sick, then you kind of want to put that person in isolation so it doesn't spread until you figure out whether or not this is contagious or not. And there's a whole procedure for how to figure all of those things out. So if you have a skin condition in Israel, you are excluded. And this guy not only has a skin condition, he's covered in it. And so if he is coming near people, his what people would expect him to do is yell out, unclean! I'm, I'm coming in. I'm unclean. Don't get near me. Don't touch me. Uh, don't have anything to do with me. Like, I, I, I'm unclean. Just giving you a heads up. So, sometimes I feel like I should be saying that to people. On my worst days, like walking in, like, hey, unclean. It, it's been a bad day. Like, just unclean. It's, it's okay. <clears throat> but this was like the reality of his life. This was day after day. This was something that he couldn't get relief from because as he comes to Jesus in the city, so like he's supposed to be excluded, but Jesus is in the city and he's coming to Jesus. And I don't know what the, the social situation was for him to get to this point where he could look at Jesus and say, if you will, if you want to, Jesus, you can make me clean. I don't know anything else about you, but I know that you can make me clean if you want to. And Jesus just says, yeah, I want to. You're clean. One word, you're clean. It's done. But was it just a word? What, what does the text say? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Verse 13, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus made contact with the person that nobody would come near. The undesirable, the sick, he put his hands on them. And I don't have time to get into all the details of, of it, but we live in an age where we're real scared to touch each other, where hugs are awkward and it's, it's a whole thing, and I don't have a clear path forward with that. But, but, but I see that Jesus was not afraid to have physical contact with other people. And I think that that meant something to them. Immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus says, all right, just keep this to yourself. What I need you to do is I need you to do all of those, those big procedures for the law. 
Like, go and show yourself to the priest because the priest is the one that has to declare whether or not you're clean or not. The skin disease is healed, but now you get to go into the temple and you get to give thanks offerings that God has healed you. Go and do that thing. And I, and, and, and so he's like, just keep, don't tell anybody about it. Just go and do the things that you're responsible to do. And the news just gets out and people want to hear more and people want to be in Jesus' face more. And Jesus makes a habit of getting away from people and praying. And if you don't fight for time with Jesus, it will get taken over by other priorities. Jesus himself fought for time with the Father. Let's continue reading, because this next is, is, is going to be familiar to you, and it's going to be connected to similar ideas. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, the big city. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the, into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what, had been laying on, what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This, this, this uh, story is one of my absolute favorites. Um, you've got the component of friends helping each other and not, a person who's not able to get to Jesus is carried there by his friends. And Jesus acknowledges that it was their faith. There was a, a corporate aspect to what he was trying to give honor to. And then there's the thing where like, I came to Jesus because he's the one who can heal me. I've been paralyzed for a while. And then when I get to Jesus, Jesus forgives my sin. I, when I try to put myself in those shoes, when I put myself in those sandals, I'm a little bit frustrated. Like, Jesus, you have healed everybody. Like, everybody you touch gets healed, and like, you look at me and you say, my sins are forgiven. Like, I, that's not what I came, like, thanks, I guess, but that's not what I came for. I want to walk! And now my sins are forgiven! Which is cool, I guess, but was that what I came for? Jesus' good news meets our first need first. Jesus' good news meets our first need first. I was talking with somebody this week, and they were talking about their dog was sick. And they thought it was a thyroid thing, but the liver wasn't working right, and so they went through the whole, I won't, I'll spare you the details, but 
they were like, well, we're going to work on the thyroid to see if we can get the thyroid under control and to see if the liver improves, to see if the liver is, is a symptom of the thyroid problem or if there's something else going on. When the major systems are not working properly, you're not sure what the cause is and what the effect is. You, or you don't want to treat the symptom and leave the cause undone. And here, we come to Jesus oftentimes with the symptoms of things that we feel, the burdens that we carry through this world, and we say, would you just heal me of these things and he says you're I came so that you might have your sins forgiven and we say that's that's not I mean that's great I guess it's not really what I came here for I came for this other thing and he says that's the symptom I came to deal with the cause of the problem Jesus's good news meets our first need first and he does so with this guy and he sets up this really really interesting uh, conversation <laughs> The scribes and the Pharisees, these are teachers of the law. These are people who are religious people. They, they're, they, they, they are familiar with the, the Hebrew scriptures and they, they know what Jesus is driving out a little bit. And, and, and they say, this guy just said he forgave their sins. Like it could be, it could be, you could read that sentence and go, okay, well, Jesus said your sins are forgiven. So he might think of himself as like an ambassador from God and not that he like considers himself God but he's just an ambassador from God saying that God forgave your sins. But then the scribes and the Pharisees who were in the room go, he just said that he was equal with God. Who can, he just blasphemed. He said that I am God and I forgive your sins. So like, even if as we're reading the statement itself and we go, there's some ambiguity there, like the interpretation for the people who were in the room, the first audience is he just said he's God. How, he can't say that. He can't forgive sins. And Jesus kind of picks up on this. I don't know what their body language was like. I don't know if he could read their thoughts, but he picks up on what's going on and just says, hey, what's, what's easier for me to do? To, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And I didn't look at the words he used, so I don't know which one is like easier to pronounce, but I don't think he was talking about pronunciation, which is easier to say. He said, is it easier for me to just say your sins are forgiven? Because what is the evidence that that has happened? I'm inclined to think there is evidence, but it takes years and years and years before you really start to get a good grasp on the evidence that your sins have been forgiven. He says, but if I say rise and get up and walk, and he doesn't do it, like the evidence is real quick. I'm either crazy or I'm on point with this, which is easier for me to say right now. He turns to the guy, he says, I've already forgiven your sin. And just to prove to you that I've forgiven your sins, get up and get out of here. Like the healing, like this is the, the healing is, is almost a symptom of the thing, right? It's not even the main point. He's like, I'm just, look, you're, you're taken care of. Everything that you need is already taken care of, but I need to make a point to those guys because they're not getting it yet, okay? So you just take your bed and walk. And so this thing that had been laying him around and he had been born on, like, born on, like he'd been carried on. He had been, it had been the thing that supported him forever. Like he picks it up and he bears it out. He carries it with him. I couldn't have got here without this thing, but now I'm going to take this thing elsewhere. And everybody goes, oh man, drop the mic. This Jesus guy knows what he's doing. Jesus' good news meets our first need first. 
So as we look at the leper, as we look at this, this guy who's been healed from his paralytic, from his, from being a paralytic, do we allow how we have been treated to dictate how we will engage with Jesus? Do we allow how we have been treated to dictate how we will engage with Jesus? Because this leper is excluded. He says, nobody will touch me. Nobody will come near me. I'm not part of society. And so if the people, if the faithful Jewish people, if my family and my friends will not touch me, then why would I come to Jesus and expect that he would do the same thing? Like, the way that I've been treated dictates that he shouldn't touch me. The law says he shouldn't touch me. But do I, do I allow myself to get so locked into how I've been treating that I, that I don't engage with Jesus in an open way? The paralytic say, you know, I, like, the paralytic looks back and says, my friends carried me here. Like, I've been loved. I've been cared for. These people, like, took, <laughs> took a day off of work to bring me here. And I get to, and they don't have to carry me home because of these Pharisees were being snarky to Jesus, but like, that's a cool deal. Right? And he was grateful. But, but there are times where, where I look at the way that I've been treated and it, it walls me off to engaging with Jesus. My parents don't ever listen to me, so why would I talk to Jesus? I don't expect for him to listen to me. My spouse doesn't meet all of my needs or, or satisfy my fullness, so why would, I, why would I come to Jesus and expect that he would bring any kind of satisfaction? And I, and, and I get cynical about, like, Jesus says that he wants to relate to me. He wants to hear what's on my heart. And Jesus says that he wants to meet my needs. And, and I can look and go, well, yeah, but nobody else does. Why would, why would he be any different? Do we let the way that we've been treated dictate how we're willing to engage with Jesus? Particularly when Jesus' good news meets our first need first. One more story and we'll wrap up. Continue reading with me in 527. Verse 27. After this, after all these things, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Levi is a tax collector. He's, he's sitting at the booth. He's not even like a chief tax collector. He's not the guy in charge. He's just the guy who has to run the operation. He's keeping the shop open. So as you're walking by, he collects the toll or whatever. He's not a big shot or anything like that, but he still can get some kickbacks. He's probably not a very honest kind of guy. And Jesus just showed him, hey, follow me. And I don't know what the rest of that conversation was like, but 
He leaves the booth. Leaves the money in the booth. The, the, the cash register is open and Levi walks out. And he goes to his house. And he, he throws a big feast. He, he, lay, he sets the table for Jesus and makes a big feast and invites all his friends. You guys have to meet this guy. So I don't know what it was that Jesus said to engage with Levi in such a way, but he said, I'm going to follow Jesus and I need to bring my friends along. I need them to meet him too. They have to understand what it is that he's doing in my heart. Like I don't really understand it myself, but I need to share this with them. And he throws this feast and Jesus comes and the Pharisees are watching it and the Pharisees have now like learned their lesson. They're not talking to Jesus anymore. They're called to his disciples like, hey why are you guys dealing with these kind of people like last time we talked to Jesus well we didn't really talk to Jesus we were just kind of thinking to ourselves but somehow he knew what we were thinking but now we're going to go and talk to his disciples to bring this complaint because you know we don't need that direct contact with this guy so they're talking to the disciples behind his back like why are you eating with these kind of people you're eating with tax collectors who are dishonest Jews who are taking advantage of honest Jews and you've got these other sinners which we can probably understand to be backslidden Jews People who were Jews culturally, they were born into a Jewish family. Maybe they grew up going to synagogue, but now they don't really go very much. They don't go to the temple every year to do their offerings and anything. And we know that like they grew up Jewish, but they're not really Jewish now. They're now just kind of calling them backslidden. They're sinners. Why, why is Jesus hanging out with those kind of people? Hey, disciples, why are y'all hanging out there? And Jesus turns around. Like, this is a funny thing. They're talking to his disciples, and Jesus turns around and says, those who are well have no need of a physician. How many, if you had a healthy week this week, um, didn't have any kind of sniffles or aches or anything, did it ever cross your mind to call a doctor? It didn't mind. Actually, I can remember one time uh, going to the chiropractor and they got me to the place where my back was feeling better. And I said, okay, so when do we stop? When do I stop coming to the chiropractor? They said, never. I said, but I'm well. And they're like, yeah, but you don't ever have to stop coming. And I'm like, this is not, <laughs> I don't have the kind of money for this. <laughs> I'm well, I have no need for a physician. So Jesus says, those who are well have no need for a physician. We know this. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I didn't come for the people who don't think they need me. I came for the people who are acutely aware that something is missing, something is broken in them, and that they will not make it back to God unless someone helps them there. You Pharisees, you, you think you've got it lined out. You're confident in your own righteousness. And so you don't need me. And so I didn't come for you. The sinners? People who know they're screwed up? Those are my people. Do we live as though we need Jesus? Like, like in, our, in our lives, do we live as though we need Jesus? Like, what things for us are optional as we're thinking through what we're going to do through our week is, is time with Jesus and his word and in prayer. Is that optional for us? Like, I don't really, I don't really have, like I wake up early. I don't really have time. Like spending time with Jesus is optional or, or even spending time with our faith family and, and opening up to people who are going to encourage me in my faith and help me to grow closer to Jesus. Is that optional for me? Do I live as though I need Jesus. It might look like obeying something Jesus said 
even when you still have your doubts about who he is. And it might look like forgiving myself for the things that Jesus has said he's forgiven me for. Or forgiving someone else for the thing that Jesus says was a sin against him. Do we live as though we need Jesus? Because Jesus' good news meets our first need first. Let's pray together. Lord, we need you. There's, there's moments that we have clarity when we're looking at you and your word and, and we say, I will boast. I'm not going to boast of myself. I'll boast in Christ alone. And in those moments of clarity, we can sing and declare together. But God, our pride is rooted so deep in our hearts that it's not long before I'm drawn away to boast in myself or my accomplishment, my cleverness. But Lord, if, if, if I've trusted you at all, then my heart is all yours. And so would you take it all? Would you kill the selfish and sinful parts of me? Would you be reforming my heart and transforming it into your likeness? Would you have met my first need first? And so would you shape the rest of me as well? It's in your name that I pray that we pray together. Amen.